Amen. All right. Well, just before Pastor Marvin comes, I got one thing I want to do. And some of you that were here last week know what that is. And if you weren't here last week, you are going to think this is the weirdest thing in the world. And what kind of church is this? But give me a minute. All right. Here we go. This is somebody. I already heard someone starting it. Ready? Here we go. Ready? Okay. We're getting it. All right. Ready? 512 All right, you got it. All right. I'm going to take a second to explain because um, someone at the first service said, people, you are going to, you are scaring people. Um, if they are new to you. If you don't know what that is, you can ask your neighbor, and if they don't know, then you both didn't listen to last week's sermon. Um, but let me give you a quick. What it is, is we're looking at the story of Scripture, and we're saying, you know what, if you look at all the books of the Bible, um, and sometimes it's hard to figure out the big picture, so we just use the easy way. The first five is the first five books of the Bible, Genesis through Deuteronomy. We call it the Pentateuch. The next 12 is books of history. That comes with history. Pastor Marvin says I gotta use a mic. All right, five is Pentateuch, uh, twelve is books of history. Then you got five books of poetry. Then you get five major prophets, and then you get twelve minor prophets. And that's how the Old Testament kind of flows together. And we said last week that you take that last part poetry, major prophets, and minor prophets and you drop it into the history part. That's where it all takes place. All the prophets, all the poetry, Proverbs, Psalms, Ecclesiastes, all that poetry, all that poetical book goes into the history. That's in those first 12 books. That's where it's happening, right? So you got five, you got 12, you got five books of poetry, you got five major prophets, you got 12 minor prophets. And then we move to the New Testament, and you got four. What are those? You got four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. You got four Gospels. Then you got one book of history in the book of Acts. Talks about the starting of the early church. And then you've got 21 letters that are written. And letters that are written to individuals, to individual churches, or just to Christians in general. And that's and those letters contain, we said last week, two things. They're what we believe and how we're to live. And that's what happens in those 21 letters. And then you have one book that it ends on, Revelation, a book of prophecy about what's going to happen. And that's the, the overall framework that we are trying to cover in eight weeks. 5, 12, 5, 5, 12, uh, and then uh, 4, 1, 21, 1, okay? And so that's where we're at. Pastor Marvin's going to come in and bring us into the story uh, this morning. But now you know the larger picture. Thank you, Pastor Rick. Well, good morning. Good to see all of you here. For those of you, especially those of you who are visiting, we're glad that you are joining us this morning. Um, so as Pastor Rick mentioned, we are in this series called The Story of Scripture, looking at how the story of 
the stories that we see often in the Bible, where we, when we start reading through the book of Genesis, all the way through the book of Revelation, we encounter so many different stories. And sometimes we get lost in them. We get, we get, we get overwhelmed sometimes, where we, we don't know where left and right is, or where the north and south is. And it's, sometimes it's helpful for us to zoom out a little bit and to see the larger story of Scripture. As I was thinking about it, I was thinking about um, a few years ago, a few friends of ours, we decided to run a race. Uh, some of you may have run it. It's called the Spartan Race. Um, it's fun. It's just something for, fun for us to do. And um, we did it at Boston's Fenway Park. Now, if you've ever been, you know Fenway Park. It's an incredible place to go. A um, lot of history, just so much excitement. So it's in November, it's cold, the race is uh, mid-November, so it's already freezing, and I get to the park, and that's my view of the park, right? Uh, one thing you have to know about me, until that point, I was not running, and I'd signed up, I forgot that I'd signed up, people said I had to run the next week, and I said, all right, let's go. Uh, but one thing about this race is it's 5K um, inside a park. Now. There's only so much you can run around the park. So what they, how they designed is where you were going up and down the stairs. You were going through the seats. You were going through the locker rooms. It was, it was fun. But to me, it wasn't. And here's why. First of all, I'm not in shape to run that race. Second of all, the first part of the race, you had to go through this up those stairs. Well, not really stairs. The, you know the, the ramps that you have to go, the concrete ramps? You had to bear crawl all the way up, right? And so by that point, my feet and my arms, they're all torn up. I'm, I'm ready to give up. In that moment, here's where I am. All I'm seeing is the next obstacle, right? Because all that's what I need to get through. I don't care about the park. I don't care that I'm running through the dugouts. I don't care that I'm in the locker room doing push-ups. It doesn't matter to me because to me, I'm lost in the moment. I'm lost in the chaos. I'm lost in all of that. But contrasted to every now and then when we as a family, we fly in and out of Boston, one of my favorite views is coming into Boston. You know when that, when that plane takes that round, that turn right into, into Logan, and you get this view of the harbor, you get the view of the, of the city, you get the view of the bridge, you get the, this view of the, the park. It's a beautiful view. And then you realize the majesty of Fenway Park. You realize the setting. You realize how beautiful it is. And then you realize, man, I did not appreciate this at all. Sometimes it's helpful for us to take a step back to consider the larger picture of the narrative, of the story. One thing we said, the Bible is made up of 66 books, 1189 chapters, but one story. It may be individual stories, individual people, characters, but God is writing one story. Started in the book of Genesis, goes through the book of Revelation, and somewhere in between, all of you are a part of that story. God brings us, grafts us, pulls us in, adopts us into this story. He writes us in, and so we get to be a part of that story as well. 
One thing you and I know about, about the world we live in is that it's broken. There's sin all around us. There's chaos all around us. No matter where you look, you see it. You feel it. In Scripture, you see it all throughout Scripture that there is brokenness. And the questions we are so often asking, or if you're a student of the Bible, you're often asking is, how will God fix this? How do we find a way out of the brokenness that we experience into where we ought to be? into the way God designed us to be. Because if you, if you were with us last week, you know that God, we, we covered the story of creation and where God created everything and he called it what? He called it good. And God creates all things, calls it good, and suddenly it's not. Where, where harmony and peace and joy was suddenly now there is pain and there is brokenness and there is heartbreak. There is murder. There is uh, all kinds of evil. Last week we ended in chapter 11, but we're going to take a quick overlap over chapter 9. And in the story of Noah, if, you, if you're familiar with the Bible, you'll see right up until the time of Noah, there was just incredible evil had taken over the land. So much so to the point where it was dangerous to live in and people often say it was to a point where it was the same chaos that was before the creation and all of the things that God had worked so hard to put together, make beautiful, mankind had destroyed it. And the question is, how do you fix it? See, the one thing that God designed us for when God created man was for us to be in relationship with him. You see that in the, in the garden. You see that in Adam and Eve's story. You see that God would commune with them. God would talk with them. God would spend time with them. God had a relationship with them. And when sin came in, guess what broke? The relationship that God and man had was suddenly broken. And in this broken relationship, the question is, how does God fix that? And this part of today's, today's uh, um, message, here's what we're going to cover. We're going to cover one way that God fixes this. We talked about this yes, last week. The story of Scripture is this. The story of Scripture is God with us so that we may be with him. God with us. God choosing to be with us so that we can find our way back to him, so that we can be with him. All throughout scripture, no matter what story is being written, you will see that theme of God inserting himself into the situation so that he can draw us back to him. And that is the story of scripture. So the solution to a broken relationship, the solution to a broken world it's simply this, a God of covenant, a God of covenant. Now, we'll talk about what covenant is, but here's why we're going to take some time to talk about covenant. We're going to talk about it today. We're going to talk about it next week, because if we do not understand covenant, we don't understand God's plan to restore his people to restore his relationship with people. 
Now, what's a covenant? A covenant is, in some ways, it's a legal term, especially in the context that the Bible was written. It's a legal term where two parties would come and they, had, they would make some sort of an agreement, whether it was over land, whether it was over some service, whatever it may be. Sometimes it was between equals. Sometimes it was between someone higher, someone lower, like a king with one of his, one of his subjects. Sometimes it was, in, in the biblical context, it was God and people. But a covenant is an agreement. But more than just a legal perspective, it's a relationship. And especially in the biblical context, it was a relationship that two parties entered into. And in this, there were binding promises, promises to each other that they would work with each other, they would work together for a common goal. Now, we don't necessarily use the word covenant in our daily context anymore. We, don't, we, we use contracts all the time, but in our context, in our, in our conversations, we don't necessarily use the covenant, but in one case, and that is the marriage covenant. In a marriage covenant, you have two, the, uh, the husband and the wife who stand up and they make promises to each other, right? I will do this. I will do that. And they say to each other in the, in the presence of God, in the presence of man, I make this promise to you. And as a sign of that covenant, there is usually a ring exchange or there is some sort of a ceremony that happens. And in the context of the Bible, each covenant had two things. One were the promises of the covenant, and the second was the conditions of the covenant. All right, so remember that, promises and conditions. All right, so in the biblical context, there are, I'm going to write on this, hopefully you all can see up there as well. In the biblical context, there are five covenants that we're going we're gonna to consider, all right? Five covenants. First is the covenant God makes with Noah. We're going to see that in a moment. The second, the covenant God makes with Abraham. Third, the mosaic or the covenant that God makes with Moses. Then right after that, we go into Davidic, God makes to David. And then finally, we have the new covenant that is God making through Christ. All right, so we're not going to cover all of this today. We're going to kind of just hover right here. And the reason why I put this up here is to, for us to get a visual of what God is doing. God is working through these covenants. And he's, there, is a, there is a method to the madness. There is a reason behind what God is doing. So let's t consider the story of, of Noah through, through Moses today. But before we do that, here's what God is doing through these covenants. The covenants are a progressive re revelation. 
God is revealing himself. God is revealing his plan. God is revealing the story that he is writing to each of us or writing in, in, through scripture. It's a progressive revelation of God's relationship with his people. Sometimes we think of, oh, because Abraham came after Noah, it, the covenant replaced that. Or this replaces that. It doesn't. God is building, God is refining our understanding of it. God is helping us to grasp what he is doing. Hopefully, hopefully you're tracking with me. All right, so first is our covenant with Noah. Just a moment ago, I mentioned the chaos that happened that was in the world at this time. So in, the, in chapters 9, you'll see that there was just such wickedness all around the world. That God decides, you know what, one way to deal with this, controlled, all, delete. Just reset. Restart the whole program. This is now working. And so he essentially does that, where he tells Noah and he tells the people, say, there's a flood coming. And in that flood, everything that you see will be destroyed, but God will save a remnant, and God will save Noah, and God will save these cre uh, the, the creation that he, had, that he had created, and he would start anew. And he does. And so after the flood subsides in the book of Genesis chapter 9 and 10, you'll, you'll see God has a conversation with Noah, and this is the conversation. In, John, in Genesis chapter 9, this is what it says. Then God said to Noah and to his sons with him, Behold, I will establish my covenant with you and your offspring after you. And with every living creature that is with you, the birds, the livestock, and every beast of the earth with you, as many as came out of the ark. It is for every beast of the earth. And here's what he says. I establish my covenant with you that never again shall all flesh be cut off by the waters of the flood. And never again shall there be a flood to destroy the earth. And God said, this is a sign of the covenant that I make between me and you and every living creature that is with you for all future generations. I have set my bow in the cloud and it shall be a sign of the covenant between me and the earth. When I bring clouds of the earth and the bow is seen in the clouds, I will remember my covenant that is between me and you and every living creature of all flesh. And the water shall never again become a flood to destroy all flesh. When the bow is in the clouds, I will see it and remember the everlasting covenant between God and every living creature of all flesh that is on the earth. This is the promise that God makes to Noah. This is the covenant that never again is he going to destroy the earth with a flood. So, two things. What are the two things in the covenant? The promises and the conditions. All right. So, promises, conditions. What is the promise? Never again will I destroy the earth with, with a flood. And the condition is usually the person making the promise says, all right, I'll do this if you do this for me. But what's the condition here? None. God is essentially saying this. It doesn't matter what you do. It doesn't matter because it's all on me. 
I am going to keep this covenant. And because God is faithful to his word, because God is faithful to his promises, he is going to sustain it. And to this day, he has sustained this world, and he will continue to sustain this world. No matter what chaos we face, he will continue to keep us until the end of time. And that is his promise. And he's saying this is to who? To all the world, and not just all people, but to all creation. All animals, all creatures, to everything that is seen and unseen, this is God's promise to you. Sometimes what this reminds us of, or I hope this reminds us of, is that God is faithful. That no matter what your situation, when God promises, he will keep it. That no matter what you're facing, no matter what you, how you may have fallen apart or how you may have fallen short, God is still faithful. And this theme will come over and over again through the scriptures. And so let's move on to the next one. So now the time of Noah has passed and people have gotten more and more evil, right? You see in the very next chapter, even in the family of Noah, the people who went through the ark, the people who God rescued, the people who experienced God like no one else had experienced, and even in their family, just wickedness and sin and brokenness. And that just continues. And into this brokenness, into this wickedness, you see God calling a man named Abram. God appears to Abram and he says, come out of your people. Come out of your town. Come out of your people and come follow me, essentially, he's saying. Abram would be called Abraham later when God changes his name. This is the promise, or this is what God says. Genesis chapter 12. Now the Lord said to Abram, go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. I will make you a great nation. I will bless you. And make your name great, so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse, and in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. God's second covenant is with Abraham. And with Abraham, he's coming out of wickedness. He's coming out of idol worship. And as people talk about his family later, you realize that they were no different from all the other families. But God in his sovereignty chooses Abraham. He chooses to bless just like he chooses to bless us. That he made this gospel available to each of us. Same way God is bringing the blessing to Abraham. And here's what we're going to see of God once and again, over and over and over, is that God chooses to insert himself into human history. God chooses to insert himself into your story. And God chooses to bless. And sometimes we may think it's because of what we have accomplished or who we are. But Abraham's story reminds us that no, it is God and God who chooses to bless and God who chooses to call and God who chooses to send. And so here's what we're going to see in the story of Abraham. All right, two things. Promise. What is the promise? What is the condition? I will bless you. I will make your name great. I will prosper you. I will bless you with a descendant. I will do all of this. Essentially, God is promising himself. I will. I will do this. What are the conditions? Follow me. Trust me. Trust me. 
Essentially, God is calling Abraham to pick up and move his entire family to place unknown. He says, I will call you. I will send you. Just pick up and come. Essentially, it is unconditional but conditional at the same time. Unconditional because there's nothing that Abraham had to do to deserve this, but conditional in the fact that it required trust. Sometimes God calls us in the same way. There may be a situation that God's calling you out into. Step out in trust, knowing that God is a God who will keep his promises. See, in this covenant, there's more to this covenant. In this covenant, what people in that day did, in the ancient Near East custom, there's a ceremony that often went with the making of a covenant. And in that, in that ceremony, here's what they did. They would take animals or animal or animals, and they would cut them in half. Now, it's pretty gruesome for our modern ears, but here's what it was pretty common for them in the day. Cut it in half, put both pieces on either side. And what, pe what the two parties in the covenant would do is they would walk side by side through the middle of this gruesome scene, through this bloody area. They would walk through the middle, and essentially what they were saying was, if one of us breaks the terms of this covenant, let what happened to these animals happen to me. And it was a serious thing. And so God calls, in Genesis 15, God calls Abram, and he says, all right, Abram's having, he's having some doubts about the promise because it's been 25 years. God promised him a child. Abram and Sarah, if you know their story, they are elderly. They have no children. But God promises, saying, I will make your descendants like the sand of the, sea, the seashore and the, the stars of the sky. And he says, God, I don't even have one. 25 years have passed since the promise, and yet nothing, no movement. And he's starting to feel the doubts, and God says, all right, let's do the ceremony. And God tells him, Put, do the animals, and cut the animals up, and lay them out. And Abram, at the end of it, he is tired, he is he's falling asleep, and what he sees in that moment was a visual representation of God going through the aisle. Now, here's what's missing. In the covenant ceremony, two people, two parties go through the aisle. But in this moment, what he is seeing is God himself solo going through it. Essentially, this is what God is saying. I will. I will. That, Abram, it doesn't matter what you come across. It doesn't matter how you fail. It doesn't matter... All of these things, my covenant is with you. My promise is guaranteed. It is on me. And if this covenant fails, it's not your fault. Let what happened to these animals happen to me. God is saying, I will. And because God is faithful, because God can be trusted as word, this covenant, this promise will not fail. And we've been, if, uh, if you were with us over the last few months, you know, we went through a series called The Unstoppable Blessing. The blessing, this blessing that was given to Abraham would go to Isaac. That blessing would go to Jacob. That blessing will go to Joseph and, or, or Judah and all of, their, all of the tribes and would go to the Israelites and eventually would make it to all of us. 
And here's the reality. All of us have failed along the way, yet God says, I will. And so that's the blessing. That's the covenant of Abraham. Again, all of this, remember, the story is this. The story of scripture is this. God with us so that we may be with, with him. God inserting himself into our story so that we could be in relationship with him. What is God's solution to a broken relationship? The God of covenant. And as we go further, now generations have passed. I mentioned Abraham had a child, Isaac. Isaac had two, two, two sons, um, Jacob and Esau. Jacob had 12 sons. And out of the 12 sons, God blesses Joseph and now he is the king, or he is the second in command in Egypt under the Pharaoh. And suddenly during his time, there is a deep famine in the land. And the whole family, they leave the promised land. They leave the, pl- the land that God blessed Abram with. And they relocate to Egypt. And now things are good. Things are good because Joseph had made sure that they had everything they needed. But as time passes, you know the story. We're leaving the book of Genesis and we're moving into the book of Exodus. And here's the story as we begin Exodus. There arose a Pharaoh that did not know, that did not like the people of Israel. And he made life hard. He turned up the heat. He made it challenging. He made them slaves. And suddenly there, the people of Israel are crying out to God, saying, God, rescue us. God, bring us out. And into that mess, into that chaos, God again reinserts his hands. God again starts writing the story of deliverance. God brings out Moses. And Moses, you, you know his story. I won't get, get into it much. But Moses eventually will lead the people out of Egypt out of Pharaoh's clutches and into the desert, into the wilderness. And now these people have been wandering around for a little while. And that's where God says, all right, it's time for another covenant. Time for a covenant. And here in Exodus chapter 19, Exodus chapter 19, verses 1 onwards, this is what he says. Or uh, let's fast forward down to 4. Thus you shall say to the house of Jacob, God is telling Moses to speak to the people. You yourself have seen what I did to the Egyptians and how I bore you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. Now therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my commandment, keep my covenant, you shall be my treasured possession among all peoples. For all the earth is mine and you shall be be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation's. Nation, And these are the words that you shall speak to the people of Israel. All right, so next covenant. This is, this is the last one, I promise. All right, this is the covenant to Moses. What is the promise? You will be my treasured possession. You will be my a nation of holy priesthood. You will be my holy nation. You will be mine. That's what God is saying. God is talking to his people and he says, you will be mine. But what's unique about this that we didn't see in the others? 
What are the conditions? If you will obey my covenant, if you will honor my covenant, if you will do your part, then the blessings. As a matter of fact, in, in the book of Deuteronomy, the same story continues and God is setting his people and God is still speaking to his people and God commands Moses and he says, take the tribes and split them in two. One tribe, you set them on this mountain, on the mountain of Gerasim, and the other tribe, you set them on this mountain, on the mountain of evil. And here's what you're going to proclaim. He starts, he starts listing a list of blessings. And he starts listing another list of curses. And he says this to, to both parties. He says this in Deuteronomy 28. And if you faithfully obey the voice of the Lord your God, being careful to do all his commandments that I command you today, the Lord your God will set you high above all the nations. And all these blessings shall come upon you and overtake you if you obey the voice of the Lord your God. Your choice. Will you obey? If you do, here's your blessing. And if you don't, but if you will not obey the voice of the Lord your God, or be careful to do all his commandments and his statutes that I command you today, then all these curses shall come upon you and overtake you. Essentially, this is what God is saying. Here's my covenant. You are my people. You're my prized possession. You are my people. You are my nation of priests. You are my holy nation. This is your mine. But it's your choice. Blessing or curse. And it's simply by this. You do what I command, you get the blessing. You don't do what I command, you get the curse. And God is putting it plainly in front of them. It's this. The choice. See, we can't understand what's going to happen beyond this point. We talk about the 512, 5512, all of the, all of the story that's going to come after this hinges on this. Because here's what's going to happen. The people of Israel, they're going to look at God and they're going to look at Moses and they're going to say, we choose the blessing. We're going to do what you're calling us to. We're going to separate ourselves. We're going to be a holy nation. We're going to do all of the things that you've commanded us to do. And that lasted for a few days. Because it was just a matter of time before they would sin. It was just a matter of time before they would get into that spiral going downwards and downwards and downwards. And chaos and brokenness and hardship and pain would make its way back into the, into the camp. See, there were multiple parts to this covenant, and I'm, I'm going to start wrapping up here. Here's the thing. There's a covenant, yes, there's the promise, but there was also commandments. Because in the very next chapter, Moses comes down from the mountain holding two tablets, holding two tablets, the, the Ten Commandments that we call it these days. Those Ten Commandments, would, would be, which would be the foundation for the law and what, the way Israel was to be governed. And how they were supposed to live. The everyday aspect of the Israelite life was in that law. And God is telling them, if you obey these commandments, and there were hundreds of them, to the point where it was overwhelming. If you obey them, you will have the blessing. 
there's a book, The Year of Living Biblically by A.J. Jacobs. It's, a, it's an interesting book. A.J. Jacobs, he does this experiment where he says, you know what, for one year, just one year, I'm going to live biblically. And by that, he meant, I'm going to live out every law that is commanded in the Israelite culture, in the, in the Jewish culture. I'm going to try to live it all out. And he tells us this, he tells this story um, where he talks about how hard it is to live out this culture, or live this out in reality or in the everyday. He says, one morning I was getting our family ready for, ready for the day. We're having breakfast and my son screams out, I want waffles. We have no waffles in the house. And so I made him toast and said, these are waffles. <laughs> and he said, I barely got to 7 a.m. and I broke the law. This is what he, in an interview with NPR, he says, when you really start to pay attention, you realize just how much you sin. In the everyday, we find ways to break the covenant. In the simple things, when God says, do not lie, we do that. Scripture reminds us that a person who breaks one of the commandments has broken all of the commandments. And here's the reality. You and I, there was no way we're going to keep it. There was no way the Israelites were going to keep it. And so God provides a way out of that, or God provides a way through that, and that was through the sacrificial system. And in the sacrificial system, you provided a sacrifice. You brought in a sacrifice, and you laid it on the altar, and you offered it up to God, and essentially you said, God, forgive me for what I've done, and here's my offering. But here's where this was an inelegant system because you had to do that over and over and over again and it would never fix the problem completely. Because you see, all of this was pointing to the complete solution. All of this, the commandments, the law, the sacrifices, the covenants, all of them pointed forward to the day where Christ would come. And we're going to talk about that, the new covenant. We're going to talk about that and how God makes a new covenant with people. And in that covenant, he himself again walks through the valley of death where he takes on the pain, where he takes on the, the pain, the price. He takes it on and he says, regardless of your sin, regardless of your background, regardless of how royally you've messed this up, regardless of how what your legacy is, what your situation is, I am going to take the pain pain of it. I will. And dear friends, you and I, we're a product of the I will. You and I sit here because he did. You and I sit here because he took on the cross. He took on the pain. He took on the paying for our sins. I'm going to invite the worship team back I'm going to ask you this question. How would you describe your relationship, your covenant with the Lord? Conditional? Unconditional? Because you see, there's a lot of conversation back and forth saying, is a covenant really conditional or unconditional? Because at one point, God says, I will take care of all of this. I will do this. I will do all of that. And then on the other side, he says, but you have to obey me. How do you feel? How does that work out for us? 
Because you see, the reality of a covenant is that it's complex in so many levels, that it is conditional and yet unconditional. Yes, God is saying, I give you my, I give you my son. And for because of your sin, he had to come, he had to die, he paid the price, he did it all for you, that you have nothing else to do. But he also requires a life given back to him. He requires a life that is lived sacrificially. Romans 8, verses 1 through 4, this is what it says. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the Spirit has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. The law that brought death in Jesus Christ is resolved. What you could not fix for yourself, the brokenness in that relationship, the brokenness in your own life, the sin in your own life, whatever you have that's going on that could not be fixed, God says it's been fixed through the work on Calvary. It's been fixed through the work on the cross and once and for all. It is unconditional, my friends. You come as you are. You come with your baggage, you come with your pain, you come with your sins, you come with whatever mess you've created and find resolution at the cross. But it is also conditional. It requires your trust. It requires your response. It requires your life. It is free, but it's not cheap. As we come to a close, here's our reality. There are conditions to these covenants. There are commitments that God is expecting. But our reality is this, we're not gonna be able to keep those commitments because of who we are. You cannot keep your commitments to God, but God always keeps his promises to you. Regardless of how you failed yesterday, regardless of how you failed today, know this, God's promise started in the garden started with Adam, it made its way through Noah, it made its way through Abraham, it made its way through Moses, it made its way through David, it made its way through Christ, and it's made its way to you. That promise is unstoppable. That promise cannot be hindered. And if you put your trust in him, that promise is yours. The promise of I will, I will, I will rescue, I will fix, I will whatever, fill in the blank that is God's promise to you. So as we close here this morning, take a moment to consider where you are with the Lord. Take a moment to consider, have you considered this promise yourself? Have you encountered this God of covenant? Have you encountered the God who, prom who promises that if you will trust me, if you will give me your all, I give this to you. Would you probably bow your heads with me in prayer? Father, we thank you for our God, for you are a God of covenant. You're a God of promise. You're a God who promises and who keeps his promises. You are faithful to the end. For that we are thankful. Lord, I pray for those of us who do not know you, who've not experienced you, that you would, you would deal with our lives, you would speak into our hearts, you would speak into our, into our minds today. For those of us who need to be reminded of your goodness and your grace, 
Would you do that? Keep us and guide us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.